we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. You have to understand your reactions, from which your daily action springs. We react, we revolt, we accumulate, we defend, we resist, we acquire, we submit. All these are reactions. Hello and welcome to episode 192 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from the archives, representing Krishnamurti's different approaches to many of the fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is reaction. Upcoming themes are limitation, power and discontent. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit the official YouTube channel for hundreds of advert-free, full-length video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks. In addition, the Foundation's own channel features hundreds of specially selected clips. You can also find our regular Krishnamurti quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on reaction has five sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's fifth talk in Bombay, 1962, titled We Move from Reaction to Reaction. A mind... Concerned with itself, as most people are, they have to be concerned with themselves. At one level they have to be concerned physiologically, earning a job. But the self-concern at a deeper level, at the deep psychological level, it is that that breeds inaction, which is laziness. Psychologically, if you have observed yourself and the world about you, psychologically, inwardly, our action is merely a reaction. All our activities, all our activities is a reaction, is a response to 
of like or dislike. Please follow this little bit because I want to show that there is an activity which is not the result of reaction or the result of an idea. I want to show that there is an action which is the outcome of total negation, of reaction. And therefore, such action is creative action. To understand that, to go into that question of, which is really a very, not complex, but an extraordinary state of mind, you have to understand your reactions, from which actions, your daily actions spring. We revolt, we repudiate, we defend, we resist, we acquire, we submit. All those are reactions. I say something to you, you don't like it, and you do so in response of, of that. What you don't like, you act. So, on that, at that level we act all the time. You have been brought up conditioned to a particular pattern of life. <coughs> That's your daily life, pattern of life, inwardly, outwardly. And when that is questioned, you revolt, you react according to your conditioning, according to your habits. And from that reaction there is another action. And so we move from reaction to reaction all the time. And therefore we are never free. And that's the, one of the origins of sorrow. Please understand this. There must be reaction. When you see something ugly, it must react. When you see something beautiful, it must react. When you see a poisonous snake, it must react. Otherwise you are dead, you are insensitive, you are not alive, you are dull. But that reaction, is different from the reaction which society, yourself, through experience have built up, which has become your condition. When you see a tree, when you see the sunset, if you don't react, you are paralyzed. But when you react, According to self-pity, according to your conclusions, according to your habits, according to your failures, successes, hopes, 
disperse, such reaction leads to incomplete action and therefore continuity of more conflict, more misery. I hope you see the difference between the two, two kinds of reaction. The reaction which sees and doesn't translate what it sees in terms of its own conditioning. That's one kind of reaction. That's the real action. <coughs> and the other sees and says, that's beautiful, I must have it. That reaction is the response of its own conditional memory, of its own self-pity, of its own desires and all the rest of it. So please see the difference between these two. The, act, the response, the reaction of action born of idea is one thing. And the response without idea is another. Response born of ideation, of conclusions, of habit, of tradition, leads to bondage, to misery. And the response, without idea, merely to observe, that leads to freedom. That is freedom, it doesn't lead you anywhere. Freedom doesn't lead you anywhere. It's only a, a free mind which is a mind that is in a state of negation, negation of the positive reactions of a conditional mind, the mind that is in negation. It's only that in that state of negation you can see in a flash what is true. Please. I'm not saying something which is very complex, it's not. It's very simple. And because of its very simplicity, you're going to miss it. Because your minds are so complicated. You want to find various things. It's, it is very simple. Your reactions are the outcome of your conditioning, as a Hindu, as whatever you are, rich man, poor man, woman, man, man with all your experience, with your hopes, with your guilts, with your anxieties, with your attachments, there they are. And from that you react. And the more you react, the more those reactions take you deep, into yourself, you are still within the bondage of your own reactions, your own limitations. That's very simple. It doesn't need great psychological investigation. But what does demand attention, energy, is to deny totally this positive reaction of a conditioned mind. Then when you deny, then you observe. 
without any ideation, without any form, you look. The second extract is from the first talk at Brockwood Park in 1978, titled The Reaction We Call Fear. Is time thought? Or thought is time? You understand? They are not time and thought separate. There is only thought which creates psychological time. And therefore, having gone into the depth of it, understood it, not intellectually, verbally, but actually seen for oneself the nature of thinking, then one realises thought is basically responsible for fear. Then one says, how can then I stop thinking? Which is the most absurd question. See, that's, that's part of the trick of what the gurus have brought, which is meditate, try to control thought, stop thought. Have you ever tried to stop thinking? If you have, you'll find out that the person who says, I must stop thinking, the entity that says that is also part of thought. He's playing a trick upon itself. So, if you see, time is thought, time is movement, movement. From yesterday, today, tomorrow, and also thought is a movement, movement based on a past memories, past experiences, past knowledge. Knowledge is always the past. So thought is basically responsible for fear. Now, is is the word identified? Is the word fear? Fear, you understand? Is the word fear actual fear, or the word is not that thing? He says, I'm. Are getting all too tired. You understand my question? Is the word different from the thing, or is the word creating that thing, fear? Then the word is driving you, and I, the word is creating the fear, or. Is there fear independent of the word? Which is, the word is not the thing, right? 
You understand? So have you separated the word from the thing? You the tent, the marquee, the word is not that. Right? So have you when you look at it, can you separate the word from the thing? You understand my question? So have you separated the word from the reaction which you call fear? So which means are you aware that you are caught in the network of words? And therefore the words are driving you. So can you look at the thing without the word? Which means look at that thing without naming it, which becomes the word. I wonder if you understand all this. Look, this requires great alertness, great awareness of your observation. It isn't just accepting, yes, I can separate the word on this and that, play around, but actually to see that you are caught, your observation is through a word. And therefore the word becomes all important. So you're in realizing that, you say, All right, I'll I'm separate word, put it away. Let me look at the thing itself. Not with the word interfering with it. The word with all its connotations, its contents. Let me let let me look at that thing. Have you do you understand? I'm expending a lot of energy, I hope you are too. So can you look at fear, the word, the, the actual sensation without the word? Or the word is creating the sensation. The name, fear, is creating that. You understand? You can look at the marquee, the word, and the fact, the tent, differently. You can separate it and say, yes, I can look at it without the word. I can see the lines, I can see the posts without the word. But to do that psychologically is much more, one has to be extraordinarily alert, to be so deeply aware of the meaning, the word and the thing. Now, if you are, then the thing you are looking without the word, is it fear? You understand what I am trying to The reaction which you have named as fear, if you don't name it, is that fear? Is there fear? Which you can only answer, which you to that you you have come to that after investigating, understanding time and thought. Thought is time, because both are movement. 
Time is movement. Thought is movement. So they are not two separate things. Thought creates psychological time. So, thought has created the word, the original man or the ape or the primate, say, I'm afraid. Hmm? The fear has gone, you follow, right down to us. And now we're asking, separate the two, word and the sensation, the reaction, and look at the Observe the reaction without the word. Now, when you observe the reaction, is the observer different from the reaction? You understand? Or they are both the same. The observer is the observed. The reaction is the observer. Right? I see you don't, some of you. You've been angry. Is that anger different from you? Hmm? You're only aware of that. At the moment of anger, you're not. But a second or minute later, you say, I have been angry. You have separated yourself from that thing called anger. And so there is a division. Similarly, (laughs) is the reaction which you call fear different from you? Obviously it's not. So you and, and that reaction are the same. When you realize that, you don't fight it. You are that. Right? I wonder if you see it. Then a totally different action takes place, which is before you have used positive action with regard to fear, Say, I must not be afraid, I will deny it, I will control it, I must do this and that about it. Go to psychology, you know, all the rest of it. Now, when you realize, when there is the fact, not realize, when there is the fact that you are the reaction, there is no you separate from that reaction, then you can't do anything, can you? I want you to realize you can't do anything. Therefore, a negation, a negative, a non-positive observation is the ending of fear. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk in San Francisco, 1983, titled Looking at the Reaction of Violence. We're asking the question. When you ask a question, there's doubt behind it. There's skepticism. 
and skepticism, doubt, clarifies the brain, which is against all your religion. You don't doubt your guru, you don't doubt your religious authorities, you don't doubt your, the whole rigmarole of religious entertainment. So, when you question whether violence can end instantly, the whole com- complexity of violence, you are doubting, questioning, asking, asking yourself, Now let's find out, prove together, whether it's possible to end violence completely, so that you can live in this earth peacefully. Because if you are violent, you cannot possibly live peacefully. That's not a motive. But the fact is, we are violent. Violence between man and man, woman and man, and so on. What is violence? We say reaction. It's a response. It is there, inherited perhaps in the very genes themselves. We're asking, can all that end? How do you observe? Observe a tree, observe the lovely sunset or the beauty of a sky in the evening. How do you observe things? When you look at the new moon, just over the horizon, a slip of light, hardly perceptible, when you look at it, what's your reaction? We say how beautiful it is, and turn away to other things. Do you ever look totally, completely, attentively at anything? Do you ever look at your wife or your husband or your children completely? without any reaction of parent and all that business, just to look. Can you look at a tree without naming it? Can you look at that moon, full moon of an evening, when the heavens are clear, and all the Evening light is awake. 
Do you ever look at it without the word? Without all the remembrance of full moons of yesterdays? Just to look at it. When you so look at it, there is a totally different movement going on. It's not the movement of thought. It's not the movement of pleasure. It's not a remembrance of something past. You are looking at it as though for the first time in your life, when you don't name it. So can you move from the altar, which is looking at the moon, move inwardly to this whole structure of violence. Look at it. Without any reaction, without naming it as violence, that sense of clear observation, without any motive, without any reaction, bias, just to look at the extraordinary thing that we have called violence. It's like looking at a great precious jewel. It's not yours or mine, but it's there, in your hands. When you so look at it, so completely, attentively, that which has been called violence, with all its movement, ends totally. You are not, please, you are not learning from the speaker how to observe. You are learning for yourself what it means to observe. Observe the whole. Be aware of the nature, the structure of the whole in which we are. The rain, the clouds, that ex- those extraordinary clouds full of light and depth and quality, to just to observe all this. And so, le- so one can learn, one can observe what it means, violence means. And when there is such observation with with great attention, because you cannot observe if there is no attention. The word attention means to grasp, to go out and take. We are not using the meaning in that sense, to attend. To attend to what you are saying, to attend to your thoughts, to attend diligently, at this violence which has brought such great misery to human beings. When there is such pure attention, 
which is the gathering of all your energy, to focus on this fact of this reaction called violence, there is an ending completely of that violence. Please don't accept it from the speaker. He is not your authority, he is not your guru, he is not your is not a professional. But you are observing this fact for yourself and seeing the truth of it. The fourth extract is from the fourth talk in Sanan 1962, titled Reactions Are Based on Ideas. To live without idea, that means entirely different thing from what one is accustomed to. Because we live with ideas, we live with our thought, we live with our concept, habits, formulations. And a person comes along and tells you, look, that isn't the way to live, that only creates conflict, misery, confusion. To live implies totally, completely a mind that is empty of all ideation, and therefore is capable of facing fact from moment to moment, without interpreting, without interpreting the I, the fact. Because we are conditioned so heavily, so deeply, with this concept of struggle, to live in this world ideologically, to live in this world with ideas, with heroes, with examples, with patterns, the what should be. And I am proposing the wiping away of all that, what I am talking about is reasonable, it is not a fanciful idea. Because one can see for oneself very clearly where there is conflict, there is confusion. There is lack of clarity, there is suffering, there is misery, every form of travail. And is it possible to live and act? Because one has to act. Not only in the outer world, but inwardly. One has to go to the office. One has, one has to do so many things. Is it possible to live in this world without conflict and therefore without idea which 
idea, action, sorry, an activity which is not approximating itself to the idea. You don't know if it is possible or not. I say it is, and that's the only way to live. But that requires a great deal of understanding. And to understand you must have tremendous energy, not just blank, vague, aspirational hope. So, idea is brought about through thought, concept, patterns, is the outcome of our thinking, which is based upon our conditioning. All our thinking, however noble, however refined, however subtle, is the outcome of our memory, of our experience, of our knowledge. There is no thinking without the past. There is no thinking if thought is not the reaction of memory. What we are talking about is action without reaction. Which means living without the thought, without thought as reaction. In this world there is war, there is the atom bomb, and the so-called people who are inclined to pacifism, who do not want war, they talk about banning the atom, and to them that is the ideal. The bomb is only the result of an historical process of our nationalities, of our prejudices, of our class differences, of our particular religious inclinations. All these have produced the bomb. And it's no good fiddling with bomb. You have to change totally our way of life, our way of thinking. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants a complete revolution. 
And that's what we are talking about. A revolution which is not a reaction. As communism is the revolution as a reaction to capitalism. We are seeing the facts that as long as there are nationalities, as long as there are class differences, as long as there are there is patriotism and recognition and identification with a particular group, sect, religious or economic, there must be war. And to end war, one must uproot all these conditioned thinking. And so, what we are talking about is not a reaction. You understand what I mean, a reaction? You insult me and I react. You say something which I don't like or like, I react. But to listen to what you say without reacting, to find out the truth or the falseness of what you are saying without reacting, and from that perception, from that seeing, from that listening, there is an action which is not reaction. All reaction is based on an idea, on a pattern. So if one is to remove, if one is to be free totally from conflict, one must go into this question of thought, thinking, which is really quite mechanical. Thought can never be free. It can aspire, it can create, it can imagine. But it is never free because it is the outcome of our conditioning, of our memory, of our knowledge of the past. And to look at facts inwardly as well as outwardly, without reaction implies to look without thought. Now I say, what, what nonsense are you talking about? It is nonsense, if you haven't followed from the beginning, what we have been talking about, just to pick up a phrase and say to live without thought is obviously moronic, obviously absurd. But if you understand the whole implication of thought, and if you have observed in yourself of every movement of thought, not just the pleasant or the other, every movement, <coughs> of every movement of feeling, 
If you have watched yourself, you have listened to yourself without reaction to this whole complex movement of the mind, then you will see for yourself that you can live, function, do things without thought. That requires an enormous awareness. The final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's 11th talk in London, 1961, titled Revolution is Not a Reaction. I think one begins to discover what is the true spirit only through negative thinking. I mean by negative thinking, and negative thinking is the highest form of thinking also, I mean by that discard. Tearing through false things, breaking down the things that man has put together for his own security, for his own inward safety, the various defences defences and the mechanism of thought which builds these defences. To, to, to shatter them and to go through them rapidly, swiftly, and see if there is anything beyond. To tear through all these false things is not a reaction. <coughs> to what exists? To find out what is the religious spirit, surely, and to approach it negatively, one must see what one believes, why one believes. Why one accepts all the innumerable conditions which organized religions throughout the world has imposed on the mind. Why you believe in God? Why you don't believe in God? <coughs> Why you have so many dogmas, beliefs? And by going through them and not hoping to find something more, <coughs> that is, if one goes through all these so-called positive structures behind which the mind takes shelter, you may say there will be nothing left, there is despair. I think one has to go through despair. Despair exists only 
when there is hope, hope of being secure, being perpetually comfortable, perpetually mediocre, perpetually happy. And when that is that state is not, then despair comes in. For most of us, despair is a reaction to hope. But to discover what is the religious spirit seems to me the enquiry must come into being without any provocation, without any reaction. If it is a reaction because you have not been able to find more comfort, more secure security inwardly, then your search is merely for greater comfort, greater security. Whether in God, in a belief, in an idea, or in knowledge experience. And it seems to me such thought, born of reaction, can only produce further reactions, and therefore there is no liberation from the process of reaction which prevents discovery. I don't know if I'm making myself clear on this point. Perhaps we can discuss this after I finish this evening. So, there must be a negative approach. So the mind must become aware of the conditionings either imposed by society with regard to religion and morality and the innumerable sanctions which religion imposes, and also rejecting those, one has cultivated certain inward resistances, conscious and unconscious. Beliefs which are based upon experience, knowledge, which become the guiding factors. So the mind which would discover what the true religious spirit is must be in a state of revolution. I mean by revolution the destruction of the force of, of things that have been imposed upon it, outwardly or imposed upon it by, uh, by, by itself. For the mind is always seeking security. So the religious spirit seems to me has within it 
this quality of perpetual, constant <coughs> state of mind, which is which never builds. Which is which never constructs for its own safety. <coughs> because if one builds, if the mind builds with the urge to be secure, then the mind lives behind its own walls and therefore it cannot, is not capable of discovering anything, discovering something new or if there is something new. <coughs> so, death, destruction of the old is necessary. The destruction of tradition, the destruction, the removal, the total freedom, of what has been, of what has, of the things that it has accumulated as memory through centuries, of many yesterdays. Then you might say, then what remains? Because what I am is the story, is the history, is the experience. If all that is gone, wiped away, what remains? But first of all, is it possible to wipe all that away? We all talk about it. But is it possible? <coughs> I say it is possible. Not to influence it, because that's too silly, too mature. But I say it can be done if one goes into it very deeply. Brushing aside all authority. That state of wiping the slate clean. which means dying every day to things that has, one has accumulated from moment to moment. That requires a great deal of energy and great inwards inside. That's power. Of the religious spirit.
and it is another part of the religious spirit. Is the spirit of power in which is included tenderness, in which is included love. Let me put it that. I am thinking it, I am expressing it aloud. So if I use wrong words, wrong phrases, please pass it off. Don't stay with those words or those phrases. As I said, another part of the religious spirit is this power which comes through love. Which is, if I can put it, both the man and the woman. something entirely different <coughs> from the urge to be powerful, from the urge feeling of dominance. And that power that comes through severe control, abstinence, or the power of a very sharp mind which is ambitious, greedy, envious, that wants to achieve. Such power is evil. Whether it's the power of the politician or of the priest, or the power of or dominance of a husband or a wife, or a wife or a husband. The power to influence people to think in a certain way is evil. Whether it's done by the communists or by the churches by the priest or by the press. Such power to me is utterly evil. I do not mean that kind of power at all. I mean something entirely different. Not only in degree but in quality. Totally unrelated to this thing which is power, which is evil. There is such a power as something outside, not provoked by our will, by our desire. And because of the 
in that power there is that thing that we call love, an extraordinary thing. And that is part of the religious spirit. Love is not sentiment, has nothing to do with emotion. Or the reaction to fear. Or the love the mother has for a child or the husband <coughs> has for the wife or all that stuff. Please follow this. I'm going to don't accept or reject. We are taking a journey together. You might say such love is impossible. <coughs> such a state of mind which is a love which is not merely a recollection, a remembrance, association. I think one will find it. One comes upon it darkly when one begins to investigate this whole process of thought, of the ways of the mind. sense of power, which is not the power of the ambitious and the politician and all the rest of the silly stuff, it's the power that has its own being in itself. It is energy. The energy that is generated by the self, by the me, for the things it desires, pursues, is entirely different from the energy that has no cause. And there is such an energy. That energy can only be found when the mind is free. Is not tethered to time and to space. That energy comes into being. <coughs> when thought as experience, as knowledge, as the ego, as the center, the self, the me, 
which is creating its own energy, its own volition, with its sorrows, its miseries, its all the rest of it. When that center is dissolved, then there is that energy, that power, with its love. Then there is another part of the mind, of the religious mind, another layer. Which is a movement which has not the outer or the inner. It's a movement. Please follow a little bit. know the outward movement as the objective movement. And from that outward movement there is a reaction to that, and that which we call the inward movement. The going away from the outer, renouncing the outer, or accepting the outer as inevitable and resisting it, and cultivating in reaction an inward movement with its beliefs and its experiences, with its all the rest of that. There is the outward movement, the going out, being ambitious, being aggressive, being all the rest of going out. And when that fails, turning in. We never see truth or God or whatever name you like to call it when the mind is happy, when the mind is delighted in itself. We never want nothing. We don't want even to whisper the name of God or truth because it's in itself so intensely alive. So only when we are miserable, when the outward things have failed, when you're no longer a success, when you're no longer having all the things you want, when you have trouble in the family, when there is death, when there is conflict and all the rest of it, then you turn inward. That's what most people, old people know. We never turn to religion in the true sense of the word when we are young. Because, well, all our glands and everything is working at top speed. We're satisfied with sex, position, prestige, and money, fame, and all the rest of it. When those begin to fail, then we turn inward. Then we become beatniks or some other rest of it. All that is a reaction. That's not revolution. 
Revolution is not a reaction. Now, if one sees that very clearly, the truth of that, then there is a movement which is both the outer and the inner. There is no division. It's a movement. It's the movement of seeing the outward things as they are, precisely, clearly, objectively, and that same movement going within, not as a reaction, the same movement, like the tide that goes out and the tide that comes in. It's the same water. Going out is keeping the eyes, senses, everything open, alive. And the going within is the closing of the eyes. I'm using that as a way of telling you, you don't have to keep your eyes closed. The going within is the inward look. Having understood the outer, then the eyes turn inward. Not as a reaction. And the inward look, the inward understanding, is complete <coughs> quietness, stillness. Because there is nothing more to seek, nothing more to understand. And therefore, complete stillness of the mind. 